Well, welcome to Voices of the Valley, where we get to meet with writers, broadcasters, etc., that cover all kinds of things. Uh, you know, we have a propensity toward the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley Conference. And, and uh, But today, I wanted to bring in an old friend uh, that used to be in the St. Louis area here. And he knows sports all over the planet. Every, we can run the gamut and talk about every sport today with Bob Hilly of the Sporting News. And Bob, first, thanks for joining us. It has been like eons since I've actually seen you. Uh, you're in North Carolina, I'm assuming. Is that well, correct? Actually, actually, I'm in South Carolina. Wait, where am I? What's my shirt? <laughs> Hilton at Ocean, Ocean Course. Yeah. We're, we're, we are in Rock Hill, South Carolina, okay. which is right across the border from Charlotte. So basically, it's kind of like Edwardsville, you know. To, <laughs> and speaking, you know and speaking of which, right off the bat, speaking of Edwardsville, uh, I just want to shout out uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the folks there, yeah, with the absolutely. folks in Western Kentucky and everything yeah. else. You know, we always take that route through uh, Western Kentucky and Paducah uh, to get up to St. Louis when we're visiting. Uh, so this kind of struck pretty close to home for us. Yeah, absolutely. In the in the OVC country, it, it, it's hit hard, you know, and it's one of the leagues we we write a lot about. Uh, long time with the sporting news, Bob Hilly, and uh, uh, a lot of history. And and way back when, when I was doing a lot of local radio here in St. Louis, we were I was helping manage sporting news radio. Now that you know here in St. Louis, thirteen eighty, the team for all of you that remember, probably right, right. three or four people that remember that. Uh, <laughs> but but how long for you at the sporting news, all told, and then maybe in this reincarnation? Well. I I started there in 91. John Rawlings brought me up from, uh, from Fort Worth, Texas to be an assistant managing editor. And I was uh, in that role for a few years and became a managing editor and then executive editor. And uh, it ended up being across about 21 years, uh, got caught in a downsizing here in Charlotte, uh, but then went back to work for a company that amazingly enough uh, provided content for the sporting news. Uh, so off and on, it's been about three decades. I'm now uh, a senior content consultant for the wow. news. I'm doing, I'm doing project management for them, a little bit of staff development, uh, you know, stuff like editorial calendars. I'm doing a little bit of writing too, which has been kind of fun because uh, what I've been doing is going back and looking at how the sporting news covered some of the major events in our time. And, you know, I've, I've done Pearl Harbor. Hmm. You know, I did a piece about Chuck Hughes, who was the Detroit, Detroit Lions player, the only player to die during the course of an NFL game, uh, Kobe Bryant's first game with the Lakers. So again, it's, it's kind of that idea of uh, the history, but also trying to pull it through into the current times, which is kind of uh, hand in glove with what the sporting news is doing now. They're rebranding and it will be the sporting news for a long Come time. On. The V had been dropped. So the, the V is coming back and it's basically uh, the branding will be the sporting news established 1886, which just thrills me. Oh, I can't uh, listen. I can't wait. When, when I was, I was a kid, you and I are similar ages. When I was a kid, the sporting news, I mean, the baseball Bible, I mean, it was what you had to get and had to read. And then, and then as I got older and then started subscribing to the magazine, you talked about joining in 91. That's when the magazine went full color and Yowzer was it the best magazine <laughs> that came out every stinking week. I mean, it was must read if you actually cared about sports. We, we always had the saying around our newsroom that, that we weren't the Navy, we were the Pirates. Because, you know, you had Sports Illustrated at that point, and then ESPN comes on the scene. And, and you know, there's, there's always that idea of 
We wanted to help folks uh, see a different game. John hung a big banner across the newsroom that said, tell me something I don't know. Mm. And that was really kind of our day in, day out marching order. But I will tell you this, going back to what you were saying about, you know, reading as a kid and stuff like that. My connection to the sporting news goes back into the depression era. My great uncle uh, at, at that time during the great depression, you could buy a lifetime subscription to the sporting news for a set amount of money and you were good for your life. Wow. And so when I went to work at the sporting news, in, in 91, there were some guys that had been working there for, for decades, and they said C.C. Johnson Spink, who took over from J.G. Taylor Spink, when one of those lifetime subscribers died, Mr. Spink would like come dancing through the newsroom because <laughs> he, he could mark another one off the, off the bottom line that he'd been given magazines to for all those years. And uh, I thought that was really funny. And then I got to thinking, well, come to think of it, he was kind of celebrating my great uncle's death. I got yeah. to think hard about that. You mentioned John Rawlings, and and he was you know the big boss there at the Sporting News for a long time. And of course, uh, I never liked John that much because he had that great head of hair. You know, I was always <laughs> mad at John for a great head of hair. Yeah, he he was very proud of that. He still is, as a matter of fact, proud of that uh, head of hair. And that's that's the one thing he has on me. And I just always told him, you know, a, a, a busy head won't grow much grass. So uh, <laughs> we just leave it at that. When, when we were doing the, the radio station here in St. Louis, it was about the same time that uh, Sporting News had been sold, and then they bought one-on-one sports and started a national radio network. And so we got in on the ground floor of that, and, and all of the big, like, nationwide known writers and, and all that, they were on my little local radio show in St. Louis because the Sporting News was, you know, trying to get their name out there on the radio side, but also we were right here and, and sporting news was, was, was a St. Louis thing for so long. Uh, that was so, that was so exciting for me. You know, I'm meeting, you know, people that are in the national news now, the Mike DeCourcy and Ken Rosenthal's and those guys, they were just on my little radio show back in the early two thousands. What's really cool about that is you go back to guys who, who wrote, for the sporting news who moved on to other things. And Chris Mortensen is one, but Chris still identifies himself as formerly of the sporting news. Mm. Uh, I think it's a brand that people connect to just kind of out of a nostalgia a little bit, but also because it was a smaller group and really close knit. You know, I can tell you that uh, Mike DeCourcy is just a nice a person as you will ever meet. And I would say the same, same thing about Ken Rosenthal, that we were all kind of in it together, pulling together. And that's a great credit to John. Uh, John Rawlings really kind of had us uh, watching after each other, but also striving for big things. And so we would have Bob Costas in the magazine and we would have Dave Kindred in the magazine. Uh, We would have, you know, just really famous people contributing that we thought put a good product together. Dave Kindred's back page, final one page article was like, must read. You got to go read that to see what he's going to tell me about and instruct me about. Dave is an interesting guy. You know, he's he's covering the Lady Potters now in Morton, Illinois. Uh, there was a piece on 60 Minutes about him and how that girls' high school basketball team kind of saved him because his wife, Cheryl, who has since passed, had had a stroke and was in mm. a nursing home. Uh, he, he had lost a grandson to drug addiction, which he has a book out now about that, which is a, mm. just a fabulous book. I can't, you know, I can't tell you how good it is. Uh, but Dave was always just kind of a very even-keeled guy, but his you know, covered Muhammad Ali, covered the Olympics in Atlanta, you know, worked in Louisville for many years was where he got to know Ali. So just, just getting to work with guys like that was like a graduate level school in journalism, you know, of 
hearing how those guys went about attacking stories and interviews and stuff like that. So it was always fun. You and I, before we started recording this, we talked about Stan McNeil, who did tons of baseball writing, still working uh, for Cardinal Magazine. Uh, but just the list goes on and on. Sorry, my adoring public. Um, and uh, the uh, the list goes on and on. You know, Kyle Veltrop was a guy that was a young guy breaking in back in those days. And and I still see his son a lot, you know. And and so right. you're you're right. It, 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 it had a whole family feel even though it was this national magazine that people all across the country had to read well i think that's the difference of being in st louis and being in new york maybe uh you know we lost a little bit of that when we moved down here to charlotte but there's charlotte is certainly different from new york and you know the the exciting thing is uh there are projects going on right now i gotta tell you a quick story about one project that i just wrapped up there was a guy who's believe it or not his name is fred rogers and fred <laughs> rogers had a sporting news collection. Now, I understand Steve Gitcher, who ran our archives department in St. Louis, was constantly getting calls from people saying, hey, I've got this collection of sporting news. Would you be interested? And it was always like, no, you know, we have offers like that all the time. Well, this collection stretched back into the teens uh, wow. of, the, of the 20th century and had uh, some very valuable issues. And then the rest of it stretched into like the 2000s. So again, uh, it's a, a broad ranging collection that also included like 400 issues that were autographed on the front by maybe who was the subject of that particular issue. So wow. really valuable stuff. Now the new owner is a guy named Tom Hall. He's a, he's a billionaire. He spends his time about half his time in Hong Kong and the other half his time in UK. He's a, you know, a world-class poker player, but is, is really leaning into the history of the brand, which is Beautiful. just, again, like I said, it's, it's thrilling. Yeah. He's building a podcast studio in Las Vegas where they were going to have, we're going to buy this collection from Fred Rogers. And Tom said, well, we could probably put it in the podcast studio in, in Las Vegas. And I'm thinking, how are you going to hold something that big in a podcast studio? Well, then I saw the renderings of the podcast studio and it's like, it's got a, a master suite. It's got a, a TV viewing <laughs> room. It's got a lap pool. It's got, you know, it, it, but the wallpaper, like the wallpaper at the old sporting news building in, on 1212 uh, North Lindbergh is replica copies of old sporting newses. So again, this guy, this guy really digs it. He, needs, he has been on the internet buying up sporting news memorabilia. Wow. I'm talking with Steve Gitcher and saying, so I see Willie McCovey's, you know, MVP award is for sale. You know, do you, do you think that's legit? And Steve would go, well, if it was like somebody a little more noteworthy than, than Willie McCovey, I probably would say, you got to think about it, you know, but Willie McCovey's a little, little bit out there for some people, you know, so he, Steve's doing that kind of stuff for Tom. Uh, and, you know, again, it's a lot of exciting things coming, rebranding of the website, which we touched on a little bit, but uh, we are live in Australia now with the rebrand, and that's what Tom's goal is. This is going to be an international wow. uh, sports media company, and that means things will probably be very similar here in the U.S., you know, stick and ball sports, some auto racing, boxing, uh, but we're big into cricket in India. Uh, we're big into soccer in, in the U.K. and on into Europe. We're about to launch in Spain. Uh, Argentina goes live. And in a lot of these outlying areas, the sporting news uh, will be the facing forward part of NBA.com. Hmm. So an international presence doing content for the NBA. So that's a good partnership that we're excited about uh, and will be good for 
the sporting news, and I think good for the NBA as well. Uh, the old logo coming back? Uh, in, a, in a fashion. Okay. Uh, it will look familiar, uh, but it's a little modernized. Uh, like any time when you're redoing a, a website, there have been uh, bugs in the system. So he, we had aimed for last week to get this thing relaunched in the U.S. It's looking more like early January, uh, but it will be uh, light years ahead of what you see now uh, on sportingnews.com. I'll give you a little secret. If you go to sportingnews.com slash AU, you'll get the Australian version of what, what the website is. And that gives you kind of a peek at what the U.S. website will look like. I'll, I'll go there today. I can't wait. Yeah. I've been so anxious when I, you know, when I first started reaching out to you about us doing this and you were talking about some of the rebranding because I'm such a huge fan and I'm, I'm, and I'm a little bit of a nostalgia guy myself, you know, and, and uh, so uh, anyway, I can't wait. I can't wait to get on well, to the website. Check it out and you can find out about uh, Aussie footy too. So uh, oh, you'll get all, all plugged in on that. <laughs> Hey, before we talk a little mid-major basketball, when you said, hey, I want to talk mid-major basketball yeah. with you. Before we do that, uh, so I, I'm going back through the history and thinking about things. Full color in 91. You go online in 96. Uh, Paul Allen buys in 2000. And, and then one-on-one -on -one sports comes along. And then the whole radio network. Uh, a lot of things shifting. And, and you mentioned them being downsized after you guys moved to, to the East Coast. It, it's just crazy in the media world these days how – titanic uh the shifts are about everything constantly the newspaper business is dying just talk about the state of maybe sports reporting over this last couple of decades really oh it, i mean again the the shifts have been just amazing to watch to be swept up in to be you know buried under to yeah. be quite honest you know so but but you look at other you know we've we've talked about sports illustrated and espn and, and everybody is fighting this same fight mm -hmm. in the sense that uh, magazines aren't a thing anymore for most people uh and even linear tv isn't a thing for most people you know espn is now fighting that that kind of existential idea of can we do it streaming mm -hmm. but that means having to cut off our pay tv arm uh i I follow some smaller college basketball programs that I can read the game stories online and tell that they were written by a computer. You know, that's yeah. just the way it's done. It's a box score. Yeah. The AI takes the information and fashions a game story. Mm -hmm. So what we try and pitch to our younger people now, and we have, you know, interns every semester, we have people who are fresh out of school and starting full time with us that we still argue that this is our most important tool. You know, your, your brain can offer context, can analyze, use critical thinking to talk about not just the who, what, when, where, but the how and the why. Mm. And that's the challenge that every reporter is facing now. And that's a challenge that every company is facing now because uh, the sporting news isn't just competing against, say, Sports Illustrated or ESPN. We're competing against Netflix. We're competing mm -hmm. against Disney+. Plus. We're competing against, you know, growing kids in the household. We're competing against screen time with your phone. Uh, so we are this kind of weird news and entertainment outlet. We're still trying to be very, you know, straightforward about what we're doing, but we also understand that we have to be entertaining in the way we do it. Uh, so that's part of the discussion we have every day as we're talking about the stories that we're going, going to attack on that particular day. One of the horrible casualties of the way media things have changed 
is the annual magazine that would come out before a season and tell me all about every NFL player, or every baseball player or basketball, college basketball, you know, sporting news merged in with like street and Smith's there for a couple of years. Right. But that I don't think that magazine came out this year with basketball. And so those to me were like gold mines and yet they don't really exist. Well, the early harbinger of this, Harry, was was when John Rawlings became the man who killed the box scores. Mm. And, you know, the sporting news always ran them, right? box scores a whole week's worth. And that was, you know, it could be six pages of, of you know, content in a particular magazine. Well, there came a time where that wasn't necessary because you could get it immediately, either on the internet or, you know, by other means. So, you know, daily newspapers were carrying those things. It just, it didn't make sense for us to throw away that amount of space in our magazine. So John made that very, you know, it was, it was not a quick decision. We did, we did, oh man, we did, you know, focus groups. We talked with advertisers. We did the whole schmear and, to a person, the expert said, you will lose 10% of your subscription base if you do that. Wow. And we sat and we thought, how is that possible? You know, what, where do these people live that they still need a week old box score? <laughs> we went ahead and did it. And you know what? We lost 10% of our subscriber base. <laughs> now, we, eventually, we eventually built it back. But we, we sat going, this is just stunning. You know, so uh, you live through these times. You learn through these times. I've got another quick story for you. One of the early things we tried to do was uh, weekly major league team newsletters. So if you were a Yankees fan, yep. you could subscribe to this newsletter and you get it mailed to you. It'll be kind of an amalgamation of all the coverage we had on, on the Yankees in that particular week. The problem was it took the same amount of work to put together the Mariners newsletter as it did to do the Yankees newsletter. So you had mm -hmm. you know close to a thousand of, of the Yankees newsletters sold and you had probably a dozen of the Mariners newsletters sold, right? So Mark Newman, who, who worked for us at that point, was, was overseeing this project. He eventually went to work at MLB.com and did great work for them and has a new book out himself. But Mark would put this thing together after we had closed the magazine on Sundays. And he had the, he had the only Mac in the office at that point. And anytime there was a coding error that one of the editors had done uh, on one of these newsletter files, the Mac would make this kind of boing noise, right? Well, anytime you heard that, you know, oh God, I hope that wasn't what I had done. What I wrote, right. <laughs> yeah, something that Mark was gonna have to fix. Well, there was a guy who will remain nameless, but he brought his floppy disk over to Mark, plugged it in the Mac, and all it just starts going boing, 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 boing. And of course, we're all just, each one, it's just getting worse and worse. And Mark just kind of very calmly presses the eject button on the floppy disk. Kids ask your dad what a floppy disk is. Yeah, no kidding. And we're all going, oh, what's he going to do? And he just turns around. He rears back and just throws it against the wall, and it shatters into a million pieces. The next day, Mark's, Mark gets called into John's office, and John's like, Mark, you can't, <laughs> you can't behave like that in the office. And Mark goes, John, I've got a deal for you. I won't behave like that in the office if I can just call those 12 Mariners newsletter subscribers and just read it to them instead of having to do the, having to do the whole newsletter just for them. But again, we're trying stuff. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. You know, I think that's what you witnessed in uh, the group that, that bought us and moved us down to Charlotte. Some things worked for them, some things didn't. They sold a portion of it to a group based out of the UK, then sold the rest of it. So we're free from them. Uh, and then the group that bought us in the UK merged with Stats Inc. 
which mm-hmm. has been a long time statistics, statistics provider. Yeah. Uh, and they decided they didn't need the sporting news per se. So, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of different circles going around that a, a lot of media companies are, are facing right now. But you're right. I mean, I've been reading articles about ESPN saying, well, we kind of don't need TV anymore. What are we going to do? You know, we, we've got all this content and we do linear and, and I don't, can't imagine them ever leaving linear, you know, broadcasts, honestly, but, but their moneymaker is online. Well, yes and no. I mean, they're making, they're making about $10 for every subscriber uh, to, to direct TV or to YouTube TV or, you know, whatever. So the s- subscriber base through linear and pay right. TV, especially uh, is still, it's a, it's a quandary for them because they can't just shut it off because they need that money. Mm-hmm. And they're tied into all these long-term contracts with, you know, major league baseball and the NCAA. And, you know, it's a, they're facing some challenges and there's smart people working there. Don't get me wrong. They're going to get it figured out, but it probably isn't going to be without some heartburn. Uh, let me take you back a little bit though. You personally, uh, favorite sport, favorite event, like in, in your history as a writer, reporter, et cetera. Well, I'm a baseball guy. Uh, was raised in a baseball family. My dad was a bat boy uh, for the Little Rock Travelers in the old Southern Association. So okay. uh, he brought me up and my older brothers. We played baseball. I also played football as an undersized offensive lineman. I, I talk to kids now, you know, they say, oh yeah, what position did you play? I say, say I played offensive line. They look at me, you know, 5'9". I, I played at like <laughs> 170 probably. So it's just a different, different game. But uh, have always loved college football. I was uh, born in Texas, so was uh, kind of in the heart of the Southwest Conference at that point. My folks, folks went to Arkansas. My brother went to Texas Tech and Rice. I have extended family that went to SMU and TCU and you know Baylor. We, well, we didn't have anybody at Baylor. We always joke we're a Baptist shy of having the whole Southwest Conference covered. <laughs> you know, so uh, my roots were there with college football before pro football. I mean, the Cowboys were relatively young uh, when I was young, so. Uh, probably followed college football more closely then. Uh, I'm a I'm a Bronco fan because we moved to, to Colorado when I was in junior high, so kind of started following them. Uh, but hey, your still, Twitter feed talks about liking the C- the Colorado State Rams. What's that? How about that? I'm yeah. an alum of Colorado State University, ranked All number right. 23 in your latest. Yeah, they're high. Football. Yes, they are. We're going to talk a little mid majors here in a minute. Okay. Because uh, they're, they're a fun team to talk about and have some connections to that people probably will recognize from the Missouri Valley Conference. Yep. So, uh, but, you know, there's nothing like a World Series. And that's what was great about being in St. Louis. You know, the first time my wife and I went to Cooperstown, she finally got a grasp of what the Cardinals are, mm. you know, because there's a lot of Yankees and a lot of Cardinals at the, at the Hall of Fame. Uh, and having been fortunate enough to be there for some of the, the World Series champions. Uh, that's always exciting. Uh, all-star games are fun just because it's kind of like a, a get-together of friends. So I get to see Ken Rosenthal again and, you know, some of the uh, – Tim Kirchin and some of the other guys that, you know, come to know across the years. Uh, so uh, I put baseball first, college football second, NFL third. But college basketball is gaining now with those Colorado State Rams. <laughs> I'm telling you. Colorado State coached by Nico Medved. Yes, sir. You know, Nico's an interesting guy. He was, he was on Tim Miles' staff at mm. Colorado State. Uh, and when Tim left for Nebraska, I think Nico went with him for a while, but then started getting some head coaching jobs. He was at Furman for a while. Came back to Drake for a mm-hmm. season and really got them going 
uh, really in one year. On his staff at Colorado State is Ali Farukmanesh. Down goes Kansas. UNI guy. Down goes Kansas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there's that connection. And, you know, they have done a great job with this team. They've done such a good job with this team that you start to worry somebody's going to steal Nico. Mm-hmm. Like Nebraska stole Tim, even though that didn't work out for Tim Miles. You know, sure. He's at San Jose State now and, and you know, back in the conference, which delights me because he's a good dude and you know, did a good job at, at CSU. But this Colorado State team is fun. You know, they, they were the second team out of last year's tournament. You know, first four out, they were the second of those first four out. Mm. End up in the NIT, uh, they, they lose in the semifinals of the NIT, but they bring everybody back. Nobody in the transfer portal. You know, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and they, they act like it was unfinished business last year. They thought they did enough to get in the tournament. So they've kind of started off with their hair on fire. And it's a fun group to watch because it's a deep rotation led by a couple of people that get mentioned most frequently. Uh, David Roddy, who's a really mm-hmm. interesting guy. He was a, a high school quarterback in the Minneapolis area uh, and decided to go with basketball. And Nico got in on him early. And Roddy has become a double-double machine. He's kind of, he's like a Charles Barkley type player. He's about six, they list him at 6'5". I'm guessing he's probably not that tall, but he's got great hands, great feet. He can shoot the three uh, and just is, like I said, a double-double machine. Uh, And the other big player for him is Isaiah Stevens, guy out of the Dallas area who uh, had some offers from some power conferences uh, but decided for whatever reason that Colorado State looked good to him. And he's he's kind of a Chris Paul type player, great step back jumper. Uh, he, he's averaging about five assists for every turnover. So, that, I mean, it's phenomenal what he does with the ball. And he distributes it to this really deep rotation. They're, they're going to have to tighten their rotation when they get in conference play. I mean, they're going like, you know, 10, 11 guys deep right now. Uh, and they've had some good wins. You know, they beat Creighton, and that's going to be looking better. You know, mm-hmm. Creighton, I think, is like 8-2 and two now. Uh, they, they strummed St. Mary's, which, you know, St. Mary's will, will do well in the West Coast Conference. Uh, they just beat Mississippi State over the weekend. Big, big comeback. They were down 11 and outscored them 17-2 down the stretch to win. So You're a real fan of that team. I, I'm a fan of this team because <laughs> of how they play the game. I mean, it's a, it's a fun group. They hit, here's, a, here's a game to circle on the calendar. It's next week. On December 21st, they play Alabama. Now, Bama's like number six right now. Uh, they play them. It's a neutral court game. It's in Birmingham. How neutral would that be? Uh, super it's the, neutral. It's yeah. the CM Newton Classic. Are you ready for that, brother? The CM Newton Classic. So that'll be a real test for them. I, mm. I, I'm not sure they can do that, you know, in Birmingham. But, you know, they're a good team. And they're, they're, a, they're a fun team. They're guys that have come back and, you know, didn't look to go elsewhere, didn't want to test the draft waters like a couple of them probably will be able to. So uh, they bear watching, I think. I liked Nico the one year he was at Drake, real personable guy. And and then when he went right back to Colorado State, you know, you're mad at him, but it's where he had been. I mean, you know, right, it was, right. he had some roots. And, and so you understand that. Um, when you, senior consultant to the sporting news, what what <laughs> you, 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 you talked about, uh you know, mentoring some of the people, walking through some things. What, t- tell us about your job with the sporting years right now. Well, I'm really excited right now because uh, they've asked me to put together a quote-unquote syllabus for Sporting News U. Wow. And it will be for uh, the younger people, especially interns, but also people who are just coming out of school 
who've learned a lot in, in journalism schools. I mean, their journalism schools today are so much better than they were uh, back in our day, but uh, it's still to a great extent, uh, it's a trade uh, more than a profession. You know, you gotta just through sheer repetition of learning how to talk to people and learning how to ask hard questions, learning when to ask hard questions. Uh, you know, you don't get in an interview and ask the hard question first or all of a sudden the interview's over, right? Right, right. And you know that. So uh, it's, it's stuff like that. It's, it's also calling on our deep reservoir of past talent. So I can have Mike DeCourcy or Ken Rosenthal come on a group Zoom call and we just do kind of a, a round table about things we've learned across time about different skill sets hmm. and how you can build up your toolkit uh, for being a better journalist. And I think that's a, that's a value we can bring as a, as a longtime brand. Uh, look, we're the, we're the only group that can say, okay, what did we write about Babe Ruth when he hit 60 home runs? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I kind of, I, I try and be really respectable of our competition, our quote unquote competition. But when uh, Sports Illustrated celebrated their I don't know, it was like their 60th or 70th anniversary a while back. Uh, I said, oh, isn't that cute that, you know, we celebrated <laughs> our we celebrated our 70th, uh, you know, like five years before you were born. You're right. You know? So it's just kind of this idea. But but I'll be honest with you, too, Harry, there there is some baggage that comes with that history, too. You know, the the lifetime award that the Baseball Writers Association of America uh, gave out uh, was called the J.G. Taylor Spink Award. And through hard work by Ryan Fagan, uh, our, our current major league baseball writer, uh, we pretty well nailed down that J.G. Taylor Spink was not exactly the most racially sensitive person. Mm. Uh, and it's a, hard, it's a hard legacy to have, but we faced up to it. We encouraged the baseball writers to take his name off the award. Wow. Uh, just because, you know, he, he fought integration of the major leagues and we can't, we can't stand by and say, well, that was the sporting news then, you know, that's not us now. It was the sporting news then. And we mm. have to acknowledge that. And we're different now. So I think that was a big step for us. And, you know, I think being honest with young people that even now, you know, Harry, I'm, I'm, 64 years old and I look back at some of those stories and it just kind of makes me twitchy, you know, mm. talking about, you know, the colored players. Sure. And, you know, the Larry Dobe, the anniversary of Larry Doby playing came up a while back and I was just, I wanted to have something from the sporting news that time. And there literally wasn't anything useful because it was, you know, Bill Vex saying, you know, teams are going to be going after these colored boys. And it's like, just, you know, you're happy. We are, we have made progress that we've made, you know, there's a lot more progress to be made, but you know, you have to acknowledge that that history was there. When I was getting ready to, to do this conversation with you, I found an old article or maybe it wasn't old. Maybe it's recent. You, you, you were interviewing uh, Mike DeCourcy about the Pittsburgh Pirates and their 71 team that had all players of color on, right. the, on the team. And then somebody said, did you know you had, you know, nine black guys out there or whatever they asked. And he said, wow, I thought we had nine pirates out there or something like that. 
Yeah, that that's one of those kinds of stories that, uh, again, we take anniversaries and and kind of pull people into the, the present day. And Mike, Mike was a great interview. Not only is a Mike a great interviewer, he's a great interview as well mm-hmm. and, and had great memories from that year. Uh, and what was really kind of a watershed moment with Clementi and Stargell and uh, Pagan and Manny Sanguian. And it was just a just a terrific team, terrific story to tell. And, you know, frankly, it's part of the discussion that we have with everybody on the staff now of my nostalgia is different from your nostalgia. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're my son's age, you look back on the nineties really fondly. Mm-hmm. If you're maybe a little bit, old, you know, it, it steps and steps and steps back and back and back. Uh, and we still run into a few people who, who say, Oh, you know, my granddad used to take the sporting news or my dad used to take the sporting news. And that kind of immediately connects to you. Mm-hmm. And also tells you uh, that feeling is universal. So we need to speak to nostalgia of people who remember 1971. We need to teach people who weren't alive in 71 what 71 meant. Absolutely. But also recognize that people alive in 2021, their nostalgia may be the early 2000s. So we right. look for stories there too. So it's always that kind of Easter egg hunt of what's going what's to resonate with, with people. And that starts with the staff going and looking for that stuff. I read somewhere that Lindenwood University here in St. Charles bought the archives of something related to the sporting news. What is, what is Lindenwood own of yours? <laughs> the, the company that, that bought the sporting news and moved it down to Charlotte was American City Business Journals. And as part of that purchase, they got everything from the archives. They got all the photos. They got all the rookie questionnaires. You know, sporting news each spring you would have rookies fill out questionnaires and they were they were you talk about being able to go down a rabbit hole yeah you know, it would kidding. be mickey mantle is a rookie and the questions would be you know height weight hometown just the basic stuff and it'd be stuff like you know do you have any nicknames how did you get your nickname mm. you know what's what's the best thing you've done in baseball so far and you could go down and and look at any player you can think of really over a stretch of decades and that's part of what ended up with ACBJ, and they have since donated it uh, to Lindenwood. There is some stuff that was lost. You know, if you, if anyone used to enter the office on Lindbergh, there was really a fabulous memorabilia collection. You know, that was you know pins from from World Series from back in the '30s. Uh, J.G. Taylor Spink was the official scorer in the World Series the year Bill Wamsgans turned the unassisted triple play, the only one in World Series history. Mm. And his scorebook page was mounted and on the wall there. Uh, so, I mean, it was fabulous stuff like that. Well, a lot of that stuff has now come home to Lindenwood, and it has to be kind of figured out what do we got here. There were other things that were even more valuable. Uh, J.G. Taylor Spink's personal letters were not part of that collection. They were held separately uh, and now been turned over to, over to Lindenwood. And his letters were <coughs> letters from Ty Cobb. You know, hey, I think you got to get on the ground floor of this company. It's called Coca-Cola. <laughs> no, I've invested in it. And I think you should too. And interestingly, for whatever reason, Ty Cobb always wrote in green ink. So there's all these letters in green ink. Well, you know, the archivist at Lindenwood knows something like that is, is valuable. Sure. What they're sorting through now is, okay, is, is this Phil Rizzuto rookie questionnaire valuable? 
Well, if you have a little bit of baseball history and you go, yeah, that's valuable, you know? Mm. Uh, so again, that's what archivists do. They sort through them, the stuff they don't know. They consult with people who would know. So there, I mean, there was a ton of this material and uh, they are going to shepherd it through, I hope. Some of it is up online on their website, I think, at uh, lindenwood.edu. Uh, you can probably go there and search Sporting News and find some of it. Wow, amazing. Uh, you, every once in a while on Twitter, you, you post up like an old uh, cover of the magazine. Yeah. Something the other day you had the one with T.O. eating the popcorn and uh, you know, great are, picture by Albert Dixon. Is that Albert amazing? Dixon was a photographer. That was a great picture. Yes. He was a great photographer. His stuff used to show up all the time in, in a big, vibrant way because he was so good. Yeah. And a, a little inside baseball story for you is Albert is famous on the Sporting News staff for taking pictures of Tom Brady coming off the field after the Patriots had won their first Super Bowl, right? And Albert is walking backward, taking pictures, not knowing that he's about to fall over, trip over some camera luggage that was sitting right there. And Tom Brady like leaned forward to catch him. So Albert has this great series of pictures of just regular Tom Brady running off the field, but then all of a sudden Tom Brady lunging toward the camera because he goes Albert over backwards with the camera. We love to tell that story on Albert every time we can. That's amazing. Good dude. The covers were so great. You know, I'm, a, you know, the people, they, you know, Sporting News has been famous for their Sporting News covers. And of course, the curse that went alongside right. being on the Sporting uh, Sports Illustrated cover. But your guys' covers were so great. It was so vibrant. Like you talked about the uh, newsletter, but every week in the magazine, I could turn there and every team, there was going to be an analysis. What's hot, what's not, you know, those kinds of things about, about individual teams, individual sports. It was so amazing what you we guys had, were able we to had, crank out. We had correspondence in every major sport, mm -hmm. Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, and NHL. Correspondent for every team. Yeah. Now that's a massive, that's a massive undertaking. This, these are guys that mostly guys that worked at you know local newspapers that would would do these files for us. But just getting those things into shape on a weekly basis was a was a big task for a for a staff our size and was always fun, you know, but it was a challenge. But we knew it was going to give people something that uh, they could really use if they, you know, if you're a, if you're a Broncos fan living in Rock Hill, South Carolina, it's great now because I can, you know, subscribe to the Denver Post or whatever and get that. But back then, uh, you couldn't do that. No, I mean, as a as an end line consumer, it was like, here I go. I'm gonna, you know, the the bad thing about the sporting news is I was, was done reading it in about a you know an hour and a half because I was just, <laughs> you know, consuming it. You know, uh, you, the the Lindenwood thing. Also, when when I think about uh, those covers, uh, like I have on my screen, you know, on my laptop screen, uh, some of the covers that have been on, uh, maybe sports illustrated of some of the Missouri Valley teams when they've done something famous. Is there, does sporting news does do something where like fans could go back, search, buy, purchase, screenshot, you know, do whatever they might do. Not yet. Okay. okay. That's all part of the big plan. I love you know, it. it. Again, it's it's interesting. I I did a piece for Cardinals Magazine about the vanishing paper ticket, right? Mm. And as a starting point was literally my shoebox full of ticket stubs for games that my son and I went to. Just kind mm. of mementos that, hey, this was a game we were at. I also have a collection of, you know, as I'm sure you probably do too, you know, press passes that you hang on to for events uh, mm -hmm. you've been at. Uh, and 
part of the story was talking with the company in Arkansas that for years and years and years back into the early 20th century had printed the Cardinals tickets for him. And I, I finally asked the guy who was, you know, at the company and I said, what do you do about that? And he said, well, we're real close to, and I think they already are there now, of being able, if people are at a game, you, you know, you just barcode scan to get in the game or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, if something momentous happens at that game, anything from a four home run night by your favorite player to, you know, your proposal showed up on the, the Jumbotron, you can now scan that barcode to them and they will literally print out a one-off cool. ticket that serves as your memento. So again, I think a lot of companies are moving in that direction. We're, we have such a depth of historic stuff. You know, I kind of get what NFTs are. I'm not sure I buy <laughs> that, that I would be investing very strongly in them, but sure. that's something that I think we have to consider as a company. And, you know, it's this idea of um, things that aren't around anymore uh, still carry value, whether it's a ticket stub or a cover to a sports uh, Sports Illustrated or Sporting News, you know, feature or whatever. There's lots of ways that we can uh, look at what used to look like a one-way street, but now it goes both ways and fans can tell you, hey, I want that. And mm -hmm. here's what I'm willing to pay for it. Because again, the bottom line is the bottom line, right? Uh, we, if, if we don't make enough money, we're not a company anymore. We've been lucky enough to make that work since 1886. We're still trying to figure it out. You know, I, I always think about the time I was talking with Tony Gwynn and he was talking about, it takes imagination to hit a breaking ball. You know, you see it, you see it out here, but you got to imagine it's going to be, you know, at your knees or wherever by the time it hits, hits home plate. Well, I think that's what media companies are doing now. Mm. We don't know what it's going to be a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now, but we're trying to imagine it, envision the breaking ball and try and square it up on the bat, which in our case would be stay in business. Uh, and I think it's just kind of exciting. Uh, and I, you know, I, I tease the, the young kids, uh, the young kids at, at the office that, you know, I, I, I try and pull out the Martin Luther King Jr. speech of, you know, I may not get there with you, but I've seen the other side and it's exciting. So, uh, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I am not. Uh, but that resonates in my head as I grow increasingly gray, what little bit of hair I've got uh, and understand that there are exciting times ahead. Uh, I hope the sporting news will be around for them. In, in this digital world, it's so amazing, right? I mean, like I write for a, a national website that has just hundreds of writers. I mean, they just have sucked all kinds of people like me in. And, and now I think I'm important, you know. And, uh, and, and so let's, they, let's be clear on that, Harry. You are important. Oh, yeah, there you Maybe go. Maybe not because of that, but you are important. <laughs> but but, they, but the, the, you mentioned it earlier, the competition isn't ESPN. It's a million other things. It's it's, you know, oil of Olay commercials. I mean, it's just everything that you could conceive of. You're trying to cut that niche, cut that path so somebody will know you're there. Yeah, and I have, I have really mixed feelings about how gambling is taking over our world. And I'm going to turn into the old man shouting at the clouds here just for a mm -hmm. second. It won't take long. 
Um, I get that gambling and wagering has always been a part of the sports landscape. It always has, mm-hmm. you know, I, I worked in Fort Worth, Texas in the, in the late eighties. And there were probably a handful of guys on the sports desk who each had a different bookie. Right. I mean, it's been there forever. You know, the 1919 black Sox. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little squeamish about where we are now. I understand why we're there now. Uh, but I also understand that, uh, integrity of the game has to be paramount. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying it's not going to be because, you know, leagues are partnering up and teams are partnering up with, uh, gambling companies and, you know, but, uh, let's not lose sight of what the competition is. Let's not lose sight of what competing is. Hmm. Uh, and that's what makes, as you well know, covering sports, the greatest thing in the world is, you think you have seen it all until one day you go to a game and lo and behold, wow, I had never seen that before. Right. And it happens in every sport at every level. And it's why I've been blessed to have this career. It's also why we used to laugh at the news side uh, at a daily newspaper because Oh, it's election day. It's election day. We aren't going to know how things turn out until 10 o'clock at night. Let's bring in pizza and hot dogs for all the, <laughs> all the editors and writers. And it's like, we don't look at each other and go, Hey, welcome to the night on the sports desk. Yeah, you know, it's we're not Tuesday. Until <laughs> the Pacific coast games are over in major league baseball. You know, like, yeah. again, it's a, and, and then to kind of be looked down upon as the toy department, it's like, how many of these newspapers hit a front step and the first thing that gets pulled out of it is the sports section. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly oh. right. I shouldn't keep you a whole lot longer. I'm super excited about what you're doing and, and, and you're still being engaged in the sporting news because uh, I, I said it before being nostalgic. I, I think there's something important about the sporting news and, and some of the guys like yourself that are carrying the tradition, that are nurturing that tradition along. It really matters to me and, and I know it does to you. Well, I appreciate that, Harry. Uh, again, uh, I didn't, I didn't fall in love immediately with the sporting news. That's what happens when you're in a relationship for as many years as I was. And it just, you know, I started, I started finishing my employer's sentences, you know, and I am so, so proud hmm. and appreciative of the sporting news. And I'm delighted to be back with them now uh, in a full-time basis and yeah, carrying that history forward and, and, playing a little bit teacher, a little bit coworker, a little bit dream machine, you know, and having some fun. I love it, man. I love it. I appreciate you taking time with us today. And, uh, and I know a lot of our folks in the, in the Midwest and for sure, will will remember deeply, you know, what, what has gone on in the sporting news and, and your engagement with it. And, and so I really, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, I'm going to get on that website. You said the sporting news backslash AU, and I can get a little cheat sheet look at, at, at what it's, it might it's, look it's, like. It's not a backslash. It's just a slash, but, oh, but okay. you'll get in the, you'll get in the neighborhood if you start messing around with your slashes. So sometime in January, we think the big change is coming. Fingers there crossed. There you it's, go. It's all with the development guys. I hear you. I think Ukraine or something like that, but (laughs) it's, it's a flat world we live in now. I appreciate it so much. That's Bob Hilly of the sporting news and pretty soon the sportingnews.com is going to have a fresh look and you should go there as well. Thanks for paying attention to the podcast today. I'm Harry Schrader reminding you since you've been there, make it a better place. We'll see you again real soon.